Welcome to Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Inner Balance Psychology Center. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Dr. Alba Raffaella, psychologist and author of Breaking the Mirror, a story and guide on how to recognize and deal with narcissists, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Raffa, and joining with me is my co-host, Anthony Dana, or Mr. D. Mr. D, your creative director of, of sorts. Mr. DCD. Mr. DCD. That's okay. I might, we might D. be able to do something like that. CD, Mr. D. CD, um, Mr. D. Either one. We mixed it creator, up. Creative director, Dana, CDD. Yo, yo, yo. You know what today is? A lot of things. First of all, last night was a karaoke party. Well, yeah. That when I was thinking we have to do the podcast in the morning, I, my voice. voice is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I hydrated. Yeah. Yeah, we were singing pretty much for three hours straight. The, right? Imitating David Lee Roth took a lot out of me. Young David Lee Roth. Anybody can sound like David Lee Roth now. Um, that was so much fun. That was so much fun. Yeah, I like to. I like to have parties. So you know, <laughs> it was it was it was it was a good it was it was a good amount of people. Every everybody was involved. Everybody who yeah. sang like it was like yeah. it was a great mix. Very enthusiastic. It was fun, and everybody was. And then people would chime in with each other, which yeah. was fun. Yep. Was I very, did me. Uh, um, Alan and I did some background vocals for the Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, which was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad I have a voice. It's a little, my, my throat's a little sore, but I think I'm okay. I might sound a little raspy. I, I think, you know what you When can, I listen to this, I'll see. My voice is um, like a pony. It's a little horse. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> today is also Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. It's February 12th. And um, that's not what I was referring to, but. And it's also. Drum roll. We turned 50 today. This is our 50th episode. Yes. So we made it to 50. I never really thought we'd get this far. It was just all like a pet project just to see what I'd like to talk about and what kind of topics we can cover. So we're still trying to be engaging and creative with what we bring out to our shows, right? Right. Um, you know, I always look at it like I, the approach I have with it, and I think you appreciate this, is kind of how I... I try to teach class most of the time. I, uh, you know, and everybody can kind of relate to it's informative and it's entertaining. What a great combination. Yeah. Right. That was what I, I was going for as far as my goal. Right. It's, it's, it's fun. Make fun. learning fun. Make psychology and learning yeah. fun. Yeah. And I don't want to drone make, on about things. So make psychology things. great again. <laughs> yeah. So we're in number two. To, we're, we're doing a series loosely, right, on family therapy. Right. And I think. So this is our second installment of that. Right. And series. we're going to, and we, you know, we have to sprinkle some fun within it. So uh, right, there's it a fun, be boring and mundane. Yeah. fun concept that we're going to um, start with today, mm-hmm. too, that I think might be cool. Yeah. So we are going to talk today about Murray Bowen. He is a, or was a family therapist back in 1960. So we're going to do our quotes. And then Let's do our quotes about, about Murray, and I'll give you a quick little 50-cent um, bio. That which is created in a relationship can be fixed in a relationship, and this is by Murray Bowen. I think that that makes a lot of sense, not just with families, but with any real friendships or even just, you know, romantic relationships. So what he, I believe what he was referring to was the dynamic in that relationship can be changed. Um There's a theory, even in structural family therapy, that if one person makes a change in the system, everybody else changes along with that person because it's interconnected 
and everyone affects the other party. So. If it's if it's a healthy relationship, but yeah. No, 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 even dysfunctionally. Okay. We mean everybody affects each other, even if it's in a dysfunctional way. No, but if you're trying to affect, if you know, if you're trying to affect somebody in a positive way by being positive and they're just hell bent on being, you know, (laughs) negative Uh, Nancy or Ned. uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, hmm. there's that, right. And how people's moods influence each other. And then there's predictable patterns of behaviors too. Yeah. Well, kind of corresponds with my quote because he also said, we all have an infant inside of us, but the infant doesn't have to run the show. And we can all be childish. We can all be short-sighted and immature and, and let little things get to us and be petty. But we like, and we all have that side of us. It's, it's again, we all have that. It's our inner child. Yeah. It's our inner child. But again, we, we, we reckon, and again, it's just like anything else, right? We, as long as we recognize that and know that it's there, but not to let it run the show, kind of like what mm-hmm. Young talks about, um, the shadow. It's like, acknowledge it, know that it's there and yeah. control it. Right. And Freud referenced it with the id. That's like childlike you know, pleasure-seeking side, the impulsive side of us. So knowing we all have it and it could be our inner child being triggered or wounded, those are ways in which we can be more insightful. But I mean, it's also a good thing to have. It's not like, you know, just not run the show, but once in a while you can have a cameo because the (laughs) the inner child can be fun on occasion. I let my inner child come out sometimes. Yeah, you do. You let your hair down. Literally. Literally. So let's take a look at Dr. Bowen's bio here. Dr. Bowen was born in Tennessee. Uh, I remember talking to you about this on the car ride because I I looked it over. Mm -hmm. I'm like, a guy was born in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. His father was the mayor of the town of Waverly. Not sure where that is, but got uh, 1937. He earned his MD and then he went into the military where during the time in the war, he switched his working with the soldiers, uh, his interest changed from surgery to psychiatry. And uh, this is where he um, transitioned in this psychiatric training and experience lasted until 1954. 54 to 59, he worked at the National Institute of Mental Health in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Bethsaida, I think Bethsaida. Bethsaida? Bethsaida, yeah. I think. Potato, patata, mm-hmm. Bethsaida, patata. Um, he, and this is where he continued to develop the theory based on systematic therapy, which viewed the family as an emotional unit. And later, this is going to be known as the Bowen theory. And wrapping it up here, after Defining the field of family therapy, he started integrating new concepts with the theory, uh, noting that none of this had previously been addressed in the psychological literature. And uh, apparently it was long overdue, and his approach gained national attention within only two years of its introduction. Right. And you you noted when, when we were talking about this, that this is where, this was a big change. In the 60s. In the 60s. Yeah. Where psychiatry turned into a different... The approach, yeah, was was more not just on the individual, but now we're going to look at 
right. different facets. Because before, if people were treated like we talked about in our, uh, you know, history of psychology and all the weird, the weird psychiatry, psychology stuff they used to do back then with the treatment of the individual, and no one really looked at the family. Uh, like this person also belongs to a family as part of a system. They looked at it just treating the individual and their disease or diagnosis and let's get rid of it. Treatment, lobotomy, medication. Bowen worked with schizophrenic clients and he started looking at the relationship between the children and their mothers differently than Freud did. <laughs> um, and he also looked at, I guess, relationships and also dysfunction as transgenerational. So across the generations of several generations of dysfunction with each generation experiencing more dysfunction. And he believed until eventually a child developed schizophrenia. I don't know if that theory holds up today because it's considered organic, but I'm not sure. So he did start to expand his thinking into family systems instead of just looking at someone, you know, in, in a vacuum. He, yeah, he did his research on parents who lived with one adult schizophrenic child, which he thought could provide a paradigm for all children. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Blueprint that. I, I, you know, that's you know. a reach. Oh, by the way, um, one, one, one more note about his early years. He is the oldest of five children. So it's uh, not a surprise that he was oh, yeah, um, a, uh, a go-getter and, uh, you know, that he was <laughs> a self-starter. Yeah. Overachiever. Yeah. Well, he was, he had these eight different tenets of his um, theory, Spowinian theory. And one of those was birth order. He thought about how the behavior of each family member was influenced by birth order and their position in the family. He also was very big on, you know, thinking about individuality of each family member. So Right. And um, so let me take a look. So I have some questions for you, mm-hmm. of course. So how does Murray's family systems, family systems theory, how is it similar to the structural family therapy of Salvatore Mnuchin, who we talked about last week? Well, they both last podcast. Last podcast, yeah. They both were um, looking at the family as a system and patterns of relationships. So, for instance, like how family members react to one another. So, let's say there was a highly emotional situation, like somebody's crying, let's say, in the family, right? How do people respond to that? Uh, Some people leave the room, other people look away and become silent. Some people grab a tissue box like looking at who does what when. So they both looked at interpersonal relationships between one another. So I-N-T-E-R, you know, interrelational, not intra-relational. He also looked at relationships between people as far as emotional closeness, if there was distance or closeness between family members. And he actually introduced, I might, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, triangulation. So that was occurring when a person refocuses their attention. So for instance, if a couple is fighting and they have marital conflict, they have a child and it gets redirected. Their attention gets redirected and focused on that child. And that often happens in, you know, marriages, obviously with new new babies, where the child is triangulated. So in the middle of their relationship, basically. So that is called triangulation. So you look at, you know, who's in the middle and then Sometimes somebody in that triangle is vying for emotional closeness because mm-hmm. uh, I guess I'm not how to describe this without the thing that we watched, but yeah, with the triangle. Well, there's one. There's one. One person feels like an outsider of sorts, like the tension of feeling like not enough closeness, right? Because the other because two, two you, they could see close. a bond there. Or, or somewhat of a bond maybe compared to what they have with the other two. Yeah. Like if a couple is close and feeling calm, a child may feel left out 
because of that. Or if a parent is over-involved or enmeshed with their child, then the husband or wife could feel left out. So I guess that's what he was referring to. One thing that Murray was big on was individual differentiation. So people being individuals in their families, not just being defined, I guess, by their family. And usually that happens when a kid starts to become more independent during adolescence, right? starting doing things on their own, they're individuals with their own thoughts. They go off to college and they have their own life. So they're differentiating from their family of origin. And that doesn't always go very smoothly. No. Yeah. Kids are living at home when they're 30 or parents just can't let go of their kid going off to college, right? Well, yeah, they they enable them and they might complain that they're still home, but then the kid talks about, okay, I'm thinking- Or they don't value it. They don't value having- well, they don't appreciate it, no. Yeah, or it's, again, we call it enmeshment when they're overly involved with one another. The parent may answer questions for the kid. The kid doesn't have a say or a voice. They may baby, you know, the quintessential mom maybe being a helicopter parent, babying that child. So it's important for differentiation of self where that person has individual identity and that develops as a result of childhood experiences, of course. One one thing I, I noticed is his, he, when he talks about anxiety, he, he believes that that family dysfunctions, including substance abuse, comes from ineffective management of the anxiety mm-hmm. in a family system. And if, you know, and this, but this is, I guess it's evident anywhere, but especially with a family and the kids, I mean, if, if, a, if you have a parent that's extremely anxious oh, yeah. or neurotic, that's going to affect, oh, yeah. the, affect the, the child. Kid. And it's just like, and again, it's just like, you know, in, in fear of sounding like a hippie, it's just the energy you give off. If you mm-hmm. give off the positive energy, nervous energy, yeah. it, it's going to- Kids pick up on that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. And also one of the goals, I believe, as a parent is teaching your child how to manage stress and distress and modeling that. I was super anal about that with my kid. Well, yeah. And you kids know, kids watch and if you're losing, you know- yeah. You're, you're, you're losing, losing it. Pool, then yeah. they, or if you believe chicken little, the sky is falling, then mm. your child is also going to, Yeah, <laughs> your child yeah. is also, you know, pass that on to your child that the world is a scary place. So they learn those messages, right? Like the CBT we talked about, they learn those messages about how to cope with anxiety. I also tend to believe, I don't know if this is true per se, because I don't specialize in substance abuse. Interbalance does not specialize in substance abuse. <laughs> It's an inside joke. So (laughs) that if kids are indulged too much, like, again, I'm totally just saying this anecdotally because I've seen it, then they may be more likely to seek dopamine and seek substances outside of the family. Like if they're overindulged, I think that could happen. Again, total theory. Like overindulged in what way? Like a spoiled kid. Like they're so used to, I don't know. They're always getting their way. They're always. Yeah. Like they're not individually differentiated. They're getting their way. They're spoiled. They have too much junk food. I mean, this is silly, but too much junk food, right? Okay. Just whatever they ask for, they always get it. Like they're overindulged or spoiled. And then maybe they're looking for that, like I said, dopamine hit outside of that. Or again, they can't cope with depression or anxiety. So they look to substances to do that, you know? I don't know. Just the theory that I, I mean, noticed. Yeah, I yeah. Well, I always just I think that too many times, like addiction, parents yeah. uh, they, they're they're too worried about being friends with their kid, and they're oh, too sure. worried about their kid. You know, I don't want my kid to hate me because I hated my parents. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you're a different relationship, and you know that kid who might hate you might last five or ten minutes, and mm-hmm. and if they do hate you for a long time, eventually they're going to. At, be at peace with it and, and hopefully recognize that you said no for a very good reason. Well, that's the hardest part with family therapy is getting the parents to do things differently. 
right? Like getting them to be consistent or getting them to not indulge or not enable that child because they feel bad or they don't want their kid to be mad at them. Your kids aren't supposed to be your friends, you know? You're supposed to have an authority with that child. Right. And that's called enmeshment, is being overly involved. Right. So when you were talking about the anxiety with kids experiencing it, not being able to learn how to cope with it, there's parents who project their difficult feelings onto their child, and that can increase their child's vulnerability to experiencing those feelings themselves. Kids also may feel responsible for tension and conflict in the family. Parents fight because of me. Right. They feel like they need to distract the parents so they don't fight with one another. It's their fault for divorce. It's their fault for right. illness. That Everything. Kind of thing. Everything, yeah. And they internalize that, which is not, you know, which is dysfunctional for that kid, right? Mm-hmm. What's Murray Bowen most known for? So I want to say this differentiation of self he was most known for. I want to say, was he the first family systems guy? Yeah, that's he, how, that's how I read it. It seemed be, like he was pretty early right. on. I'll have to check, fact check that. The 50s. Also, he was most known for um, this triangulation we talked about, like talking about how a kid is in the middle of two two parents. It's usually that. It could be a third party. It doesn't have to be necessarily a kid, but usually that's the, the example of that. And then he also looked at multi-generational transmission processes. So looking at generation to generation to generation, which, by the way, that's kind of a precursor to our family of the day that we're talking about today. Oh, yes. Remember? Transgenerational. That's why it makes sense. Big time. Mm -hmm. So in order to... Hold up just one second. I just want to add while you're pondering for a second. One of the other concepts that Murray Bowen had was about this nuclear family emotional process, about how the family processes emotion with one another. He theorized that the four basic relationship patterns influence family tension levels. So marital conflict is going to influence, you know, relationships and everyone in that, yeah, everyone in the house. Dysfunction in one spouse. So if one spouse has substance abuse or depression or anxiety or mental illness, it's going to affect the family unit. Impairment of one or more children. So if a child has mental illness or physical Mm -hmm. disability, Special yeah. needs, obviously. Um, uh, every, everybody's going to get some shrapnel there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also when parents sometimes, when I do a timeline to find out where a family was, what happened in that family, the story of that family, you know, they get married, they might have a kid right away, and then maybe that kid was sick. So they focus all of their attention on that child. And the marriage isn't paid attention to, you know, right. it's all about that kid. Right. So then you know, their marital relationship isn't as strong because they're focused on that kid. Emotional distance is, you know, we talked about that with structural family therapy. Like if there's emotional distance between family members, between spouses, between father, child, mother, child, siblings. One thing I want to add that he didn't add because he's talking about nuclear is also- um, Bowen. Other- he Bowen. He Bowen. Okay, Bowen. Yeah, yeah. He Bowen, Murray. He's talking about the nuclear family, but there's also in structural family therapy, we looked at other relationships such as external family members, like, or not external, what am I saying? Extended. Extended, extended family. okay. So like grandparents. Yeah, okay. Aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. Like these people are living in the house or they're living nearby. What are the expectations of relationships with these individuals, you know? So he was fa- pretty, uh, not famous, but known for looking at that. Okay. So we have a family. We're going to take a look at a family and we're going to... It's a fictional family. It's a fictional family, but (laughs) I think a lot of you guys know them. So there's spoiler alerts in this because it's a... What's that? Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. So yeah, spoiler alert. If you haven't and are planning to watch the television program called Yellowstone... We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. So we don't have to... 
turn us off, but it might, it might make you more inclined to watch it. I don't know. I mean. Well, we're not doing too many spoilers. We're just talking about the relationships between the family members, right? Yeah, there's no. There's no. There's no um, that happens in episode two. Well, there's a couple. The there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about that are that were like surprises. Okay. In yeah. the first season, so sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty much it. So all right. So the family, the, the Dutton family, they own a Yellowstone Ranch that is, from what I understand, adjacent to Yellowstone National Park in yes, Montana. Montana. Right. Yep. Yep. And it stars Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. uh, who is uh, an American treasure. And he is the patriarch, the the father, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the only living parent, because um, he's a he's a um, widower, um, and he runs the ranch, owns the ranch, and he is uh, his his um, his wife. Her name was Evelyn, and she died uh, when the children were mostly. I think okay. Well, let's go into the children, and then I, we can go yeah. over her death. She died, tra- yeah, tragically. She died in a tragic death in front of her children, two of them. Mm-hmm. So there are four children. The oldest is Lee Dutton. Then there is Jamie Dutton. Then Beth Dutton. And then Casey Dutton. And mm-hmm. it's spelled K-A-Y-C-E mm-hmm. because they had to be different. Anyway, be cool. yeah. which is, I, I, I can dig that. And that's kind of, it's cool. It's, it's a unique way to go about it. So like I said, Evelyn passed away when I believe Beth was maybe 12 or 13. Casey was 9 or 10. I think there's like two to three years difference between all of them mm-hmm. for the most part. I think that's that's the uh, range between all the children. So the premise of this show is basically protect the ranch, protect their land. Right. So protecting their, la- their land is of utmost importance. And he owns a vast um, amount mm-hmm. of land and he has a working ranch. Cowboys. Four, four or five generations. I forget which. I think I we're can, on the fifth. I think he might be the fifth. Yeah. Right. We, well, okay. So also there is prequels. Right. This, which is 1883 and 1923, which goes into his great-great-grandfather. Yeah. Right. We right. Well, 1883 is the, is, be, is the origin story. Yeah. That's it's the, the origin story. Right. Yeah. So we, we learn about his great-great-grandfather. Right. Played right. by Tim, uh, Tim McGraw. Right. He did a great job. He did. Yeah. So this family, you know, had a, suffered a tragedy, right? The mom died. So they ride horses, right? They, yeah. <laughs> they ride horses. Well, no, they went horseback riding. So they went horseback riding with the, the mom and the kids. Just right. The mom and the kids. So Beth wasn't the best rider. Right. So she had a lot anxious. of anxiety. She was anxious, and the horse picked up on that. And here, well, and here's another thing too. Who made her an- more anxious? Her mm-hmm. mother. Did. Right. Her mom was so very she was affected. There, here's Bowen yeah. theory right here. Yeah. She was affected by her mother. Her mother was really hard on her. They had some flashback scenes of her being very unemotional, very mean, very, I would say, verbally abusive. Well, you know what? She was verbally abusive. I, but you know what? Where was the dad? This is a relationship that I see in fathers and their sons all the time. And that's okay, or that's understood. Not necessarily okay. And again, it depends on how. It depends on how extreme well, okay. it is, it's right? More, well, got to be TV. tough on your son, and you right, got. We've seen it more in film. You know, in way, I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, not not in you know. But if you have a woman who, I mean, she she said, "I'm going to treat you. You're not going to like me. I'm going to treat you because I want you to be tough. I want you to be." She wants her to be tough. I guess I don't know if the message was in this like man's world. You know, you have to be a tough woman. Which Again, in that, in, that, in that environment, too, I think. In that environment, it's very patriarchal. Yeah, yeah. 
So what happens is they go out riding and Beth gets spooked on her horse. Mm-hmm. And well, and her mom was commenting like, come on, Beth, like, yeah, you know, she was like being yeah. mean to her about it, whatever. And something happened. I forget. Like the horse got spooked, which then spooked the mom's horse, the right. horse. And she fell and fell right horse. on top of her. The horse fell on her and she was dying in the field because they were not close to home. Right. And she sent. Beth back? She said, is, you know. Yeah, it's like, your fault. You now, know. I don't know if Casey would have been better to. Casey stayed there. Would have Casey made it back quicker? Because again, they found, Casey they went out looking and they found Beth in the middle of. Well, she said to Beth, you did this to You're going to fix it. You're going to fix it. Like, like she blamed her. Like, wow. She actually blamed like, her. Listen, you know what? Said, but I it's your said, fault. Go get help. Evelyn, time out. If you got a better chance of Casey or yeah. both of them going back together. Yeah. Then do that. Because Jamie and Lee weren't here. Yeah, knock it off. Yeah, well, knock it off with your with your poor little Casey. Oh, yeah, that poor child. He so he was the favorite. He was favorite. He was he was was mom's favorite. I don't know necessarily about the dad, but definitely the mom's favorite. Absolutely was. He stayed there with his dying mom, and I believe he she died. She died right. You know. um, Well, like by nighttime. Did did John get there in time to say goodbye? I don't remember. I forget. See, we got to rewatch this. Got it. See, this is why we rewatch it. We're on a hiatus because they're they're on a hiatus until midsummer. That is. It's okay. They're allowed. Yeah. They need a break. I think Casey sings. He's actually a a country singer. So he's touring. (laughs) But anyway, so, okay. So cliche Lee with birth order. Lee was, you know, running the farm. He's the good son. He does everything his dad tells him to do. He was primed to take over. Special bond because he is the first child. Right. Right. He's the first child. Jamie was the second child or is the second child. And he's the smart one. He's the lawyer for the family. Consigliere. Well, again, like, well, what I well, and again, what did I tell you when I first watched this? What does it? It was weird. What does it? What does it mimic? Godfather. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And and th- and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not no, trying to diss it. Crazy. And Taylor Sheridan, well, hey, you know, imitation's the finest form of flattery. If he in an interview, so I'm I'm just curious if he was ever asked in an interview, was this inspired a little bit by the Godfather? Yeah. And if he says no. Fine, but I can see it because again, the parallels are, are ridiculous. There's a lot, yeah. So um, Jamie, Jamie was we basically wa- forced by Kevin Costner to be to go to law to go to Harvard Law. Well, we got him into Harvard Law. He again, the, this family, they want their family, they want their parents' love, and they want they, oh, yeah. they want their parents' approval. Approval, at least. All of them. Right. Well, we don't know Lee because he died. Uh, well, I'm thinking he did. He and he, Well, he didn't have episode. to because he knew he was getting it because he did everything. Like, uh, from what I understood, like. Yeah. And then there was the dynamic of when Lee died. It was this whole. Oh, yeah. Lee dies weird, in the first episode. Weird thing. Yeah. Casey, he didn't kill him, but he was kind of part of the. Yeah. So there's a Native American reservation close by and, you know, they basically took. We're getting a little bit off track with the family anyway, dynamic. Because okay, Lee look, died. Let Lee, me finish. Okay. Finish. Okay. So Casey has trauma. This is my point. Casey has trauma with his mom dying, and now and well, he's a Navy SEAL, so there's that. A Navy SEAL. He married um, a Native American woman, so he differentiated Mm -hmm. from the family. Right, Jamie. I believe Jamie did not, because he did whatever his dad told him. Sure, he never had his own sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Lee. Maybe not. I don't know because he died. So we don't. Well, know. yeah, we don't know enough about Lee and Jamie. There's a, there's a flashback scene where where you know John the father asks Jamie, "What do you want to do?" And he says, "I want to be you." So he he's basically probably you know looked up to his big brother and obviously wants to be wants to be a cowboy, wants to work the ranch and with right. family. And he's like, "No, no, no, no. You, I want you to become you know a lawyer because again, he we can just tell that he, the kid's book smart." And um, by the way, congratulations, you got accepted to Harvard. I never applied. I did for you. Yeah, you applied. 
hard for him. And yeah. he he basically his life. Yeah. He told him he, you're going to be the family lawyer. Yeah. And uh, and the, again, Jamie even asked him. He goes, "You you said that lawyers, you detest lawyers, that they're the scum of the earth." And so he he challenged. He said, <laughs> "Be a lawyer. Be a lawyer that I can respect." Yeah. You know. Right, and it's all about the family, which is very much like the Godfather. Like it's protecting the ranch, protecting the family. This is our sacred ground, basically. And that passed down from generation to generation. That's transgenerational. I said it's kind of like uh, Godfather meets Dallas or right. Bonanza, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Beth. Now, here way, we go. Okay, so Beth. Here's the fun. Has trauma in her history. Boy, does she. She hates Jamie. It's very apparent from episode one or two. Right? And there's a backstory and there's a very good reason. Because the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, I'm thinking she's, she's ridiculous. Yeah, like, thinking, what is her damage? And then we find out the damage. And we like, find out okay. And it's legitimized. Yep. And by the way, she's daddy's little girl. She is dad's oh, yeah. favorite. That's, you know what that is? So, okay. So Casey was the mom's mm-hmm. favorite and, and Beth is definitely the dad's favorite. Maybe, maybe Lee... Was It was Lee and Beth, but now obviously it's just Beth because there is no Lee. So one thing I guess that was good about this family is it seems like Beth went and did her own thing. Like she left, she became powerful in corporate America doing takeover, hostile takeovers, right? Mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So she wasn't the classic stay home and take care of your, you know, man. Like, or, or like, yeah. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to, I'm going to marry uh, yeah. maybe, you know, almost like uh, middle ages. Like I'm going to marry a, 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 a rancher a rancher who is going to inherit a lot of land and we yeah. can have this power family power, you know, like right. merger or yeah, of yeah. sorts. Right. Well, that's how it was in 19, in like 1923. No, definitely. Women, oh, that was, yeah. That, that era. Yeah, that era. The women, they were supposed to get married and have babies. But that was it. when... These California guy again. He is so yeah. So there's always trouble. There's always uh, there's Native American coming. reservation. Yeah. And then there's this guy who is a millionaire, billionaire from California who wants to build, uh, you know, right next to the ranch, and he wants uh, to, you know, do he wants all to these make things. it resorty and build townhouses, and it's like a place for people from retirement California community to go. I think. Well, they also want to put in like a ski resort. Oh yeah. So and so he calls Beth. Hey, hey, you're going to, you know, now I want you to sabotage this deal and that deal and and she goes yes daddy like uh, and she comes right home she does yeah she's off on her own uh she's single not married and she you know breaks the mold of like you know female roles or gender roles right so she differentiates from the family no definitely dad calls her back needs your help there's an emergency and by the way there's always a crisis with Mm -hmm. this family with somebody trying to seal the ranch she she's she reminds me of she's a female J.R. Ewing Oh, because she's she's just she's ruthless. I mean, and she's ruthless. She is. I mean, the lines that they give her are. Yeah, I mean, they they she must be fun to write mouth. for. <laughs> yeah, she's. Um, I don't even say sassy isn't even the word, man. She's got a lot of moxie. She's got yeah. She's violent. Yeah. <laughs> she's. I mean, she takes a lot of a lot of brutality, like defending. She's actually a combination of Jr. and Bobby Ewing because Jr. wasn't necessarily you know violent like like Beth is. Uh, so there's not a lot of emotion in this family, right? Like mm-hmm. sitting at the dinner table, they can never get through dinner because mm-hmm. somebody's mad at somebody. So not a lot of emotional closeness in this family. No. And Beth is traumatized because, you know, of, mm-hmm. of well, the Jamie thing, but the, the mom thing, like, you know. Well, Kevin Costner puts the mom up on pedestal. He's yeah. never remarried. He has female relationships, but he's he's depicted as a very lonely man sitting in this beautiful house, lodge, whatever, that's been there since 1883. Well, Beth blames herself for the mom's She blames it. Well, death. the mom said it's your fault. Well, well yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's why. That's a very good reason. When well, we don't her, know what Kevin Costner thinks, right? Do he? Do we know if he thinks it's her fault? 
if he blames her for... I'm just wisdom. curious. I mean, she, he wouldn't say that to her, but if John Dutton did go see a psychologist, which wouldn't happen because, no, you no, know, God, but, no. but I'm wondering if that could be discovered. For him. Yeah, it seems like he's really stuck with grief. He hasn't grieved, moved on. Really, right? He he always questions what he does. He just thinks he's he's screwing up the family. And yeah. when he goes he's to a better person with her, talk to Evelyn at, at the at the uh, grave. Uh, he he says, uh, you know, I was a better father when when you were here. You know, they have a cemetery on property. Or, yeah, you know, pretty much. Yeah, where Elsa died. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we learn all the backstory, like I said. But I think there is emotion. Between him and Beth, that's it. Like, they don't really talk a lot about feelings, but they a little bit do. And she takes care of him, especially after well, I think he, he finally did say he loved her uh, the fifth season. There there was— Finally. There, yeah, exactly. But Which he is not a man of emotion at all. He's very gruff. He also told Casey he loved him, didn't he? I think he did. And yeah. he was walking away, and Casey away. just looked at him like, what? You know. So Casey had left the family because he married a Native American woman, or got her pregnant, then got married. So— the, he was, he, you know, he was with Monica. Monica is the Native American woman. And when they discovered that they were pregnant, she was pregnant. Backstory, Kevin, uh, John Dutton told him to, for them to have an abortion. And he refused. Yeah. And then this is where he gets Brandon, which is, it's a, it's a rite of passage if you're going to like literally Brandon stay on the ranch. Men. Yeah. Forever. Men and women too. Yeah. But he, I think he did it more of a punishment. For that? For for disobeying him because he said, like, because yeah. when Monica asked him, you know, what, why did you guys, because again, they weren't talking to each other the, for like, years. Yeah, for years. And um, he says, because he disobeyed me one too many times. And when Monica asked why exactly, uh-huh. John did divulge the information to the, the, you know, now, now Casey's wife, who he wanted to have the abortion, which shocked her, but at least he was honest. And it's hard to know, is it because of how it's out of wedlock or because she's Native American? But he, by the way, dotes on their, his grandchild. He totally wants to forge a relationship once Casey lets him. But then there's this dichotomy between Native American culture and theirs. So there's a lot of emotion in this family, I think, for sure. And then, like I said, this multi-generational, you know, transmission, like how other generations affect family relationships now. There's something called the emotional cutoff that uh, Bowen talks about instead of... Um, resolving underlying issues. They just cut it off. They just walk out of the room. They don't talk about feelings, <laughs> drink a lot. <laughs> they throw <laughs> a glass up against yeah. the wall. They throw a glass, right. After they drink their bourbon, they don't waste bourbon on that yeah. show. I don't think they do, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of instability in this family, but there's also some closeness. Like there's a loyalty between all of them with helping the dad out. How do you feel about how John uses his children to protect the ranch at all costs, because if he really right. cares about the kids, Beth has said, daddy, please just sell it. Like she does not well, care. I got mad at him for some time because he's just like digging his, his heels in. Yeah, and, and he's he, stubborn as a mule. Then he and Jamie had a falling out. So Jamie's adopted. He found out he was adopted, by the way. And it's so funny because, uh, oh yeah, by the way, who was the, who was the brother, who was the lawyer that I compared him to? Tom Hagen, who was, oh yeah, adopted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there was a falling out between the two of them. Uh, John decided, was believed in order to protect the ranch, he needed to run for governor. And Jamie- Wanted to run for governor. Of course. And he knew he and wasn't going to was, defeat his father. Yeah. So he, he, he was running first. He was going to run first because he was not DA. What was he? 
counsel, general counsel? I forget. It's, attorney you know, general. Yeah, attorney, attorney general. General. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, political stuff. So I think there is a lot of enforcement and of protect. Like your your lot in life is to protect our family. So there isn't a lot of choice, right? Because I mean, I think he. What would happen if Beth just left? If he's just like, would he be okay with that? Well, no, he wouldn't. He but would. if Beth said, "Listen, do you, do you really care about me? Do you want do you want me to be happy? Okay, I'm gonna go. Me, I'm gonna yeah. t- and I'm doing, and I'm gonna take Rip with me, oh, yeah. who is like his that's man. your that's your uh, right you know Luca Brazzi, Luca pretty Brazzi. much. Uh, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. I think then Casey, he didn't like blackmail him to come back, but he definitely persuaded him to come back like that's the belief like you need to protect this yeah, but, when did he, but you notice the timing of that he only really pushed that envelope when oh yeah lee passed away when lee passed away and you know yeah, yeah. he seemed okay with it otherwise like, well, not, not okay, okay but like he he stomached it yeah seems like now well there's a lot of threats and apparently there has been historically against this ranch it's hot commodity and i get it i understand that but it seems to be just that's the ba- basic theme and John Dutton is super stubborn about, I'm not going to sell it. Even if I lose money, they are losing money. But oh, yeah. Tons of money. Yeah. Which they've looked at all the finances and he's still like, nope, not going to sell it. I'll defend it to the day I die. And, we, and I, okay, look, I get it. Elsa, the whole trek there, the 1883 story. Mm-hmm. You understand that. So. Right. But this is a great example of how anxiety and emotions <laughs> affect each other in the family. Right. And this is... um well, right. And then crazy dynamic, of course, different. It's crazy dynamic. Yeah. Some things are predictable. Like we know that if one person acts a certain way, the other person is going to respond or not respond. Sure. So there's predictability within their relationships. But um, yeah, so we figured we'd discuss it because we really like the show. Yeah. And, and as we go on and we maybe discuss okay, other other um, family theories uh, for family therapy, we can maybe look at a different uh, fictional family. I want to say there's. Sometimes, like the boundaries are, they seem okay. I don't know. Like not, they're not like, well, there's a little bit over-involvement, I guess, with one another. But there's substance abuse, obviously, with everyone drinking. Everybody's drinking. Uh-huh. But that's where, that's, you know. Kevin there's Costner's the, depressed. He's always depressed. Yeah. So he's drinking and depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And Beth feels she needs to protect him. Right. So there's that, which I don't know how healthy that is. It's a little bit too much. A little bit too much, yeah. Well, well, there's okay. Well, so the mom know. blamed me. Now I have to be, except for obviously romantically, I'm going to be the woman in his life. And and then you know, and then when it's time to, he she said that one. Okay, Dad, I'm going to get you laid. Like just whatever you need. You know, and it's just like, and also if I don't like the woman that you know, again, like the governor that he was, uh, he oh, was yeah. shagging. She wasn't yeah. too pleased with. Well, she's completely over-involved with him in her role of protecting him, that she's jealous of women that he's with. When in an appropriate, healthy boundary, he su- gets his support from his partner. Like he remarried. Mm-hmm, yeah. A partner. And you think. I know it's an outsider. They don't really want outsiders involved. No. So I think Beth is inappropriate. Although now she's married to Rip. Right. Now she, so now and, she has her own relationship. Right. With, sure. You know. So, Yeah. All right. Well, that's our rundown. There you go. There's the Dutton, the, the Dutton family of Montana. <laughs> yeah, those Duttons in Montana. Well, when I say John Dutton, I have to refer to Kevin Costner and John Dutton because there's four. Well, there's other John Duttons, of course. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did you tell me this or I heard it somewhere that, that, Kev, that Kevin Costner is going to stop? He might stop, yeah. And do you know who they're replacing him with? Yeah. Who? Matthew McConaughey. And I just looked up the ages. Kevin Costner is 67 and Matthew McConaughey is 53. That's going to be. So weird. how are they going to, they're going to, they're going to do a lot of makeup. I was thinking that. Maybe not a lot of makeup. Yeah, I was thinking that. Enough though. That's strange, right? Yeah. 
So great series. Uh, you get addicted, you know, watching it. And then Taylor Sheridan threw in the 1883 and 1923 tied you over. So 1923, they, re- they release an episode every Sunday. So you actually have to wait for TV. You can't binge it. Yeah, but we you know we have we have don't we have an episode to watch today? I gotta check. I think so. It's released at three a.m. our time. Mm-hmm. It's twelve p.m. or twelve a.m. Yeah. specific time. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of our fiftieth so episode. We a little bit about MB today. Yes, Murray Bowen. Right, he's hanging out with Sal. Maybe somewhere. Murray, yep. So we got. So if we have the uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, family mm-hmm. therapy, these two would be on it. These two would be on it. Okay. And then some other people that are you know historical okay. and influencers. So um, G influencers of family therapy. <laughs> we basically go every two weeks and we we figure out okay what do you want to do for the podcast. So like we may or may not continue with family therapy Seriously? next week. Yeah, we Wait. might. We might discontinue it, but and then go back to it again, you know, because we might have, oh, no, no, I have to do this idea. If something comes up in you the know? next two or, or if I can solidify that appointment or that interview with our sponsor, mm. I'm still working on that. That would be a great get. Mm. You never know. Yep. <laughs> Lots of stuff can come up. Within Lots of going zone. Could come up. As always, thanks for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. Email us if you have any questions at info at And remember to stop it and give yourself a chance.